Um, well, last week we started into a new sermon series called Proclaim, um, The Gospel Has Come. And what we're focusing on specifically are the proclamations of the early church about Jesus. And we began our conversation by looking at what a proclamation is. And we found that a proclamation is not just an announcement, right? It's, it's a public announcement um, dealing with something of great importance, usually coming from a person of authority, um, helping us as a group deal with a question that we have, right? The question at hand. So last week being Easter, we looked at the proclamation made by Peter in Acts chapter 2, um, considering what are we going to do with this Jesus guy? The Jewish leaders had decided that Jesus was not good for the people and really not good for their own jobs, right, as the spiritual leaders of the church. Um, so they had decided to get rid of Jesus, to kill him off. And they did that by convincing the Roman government to execute him. But three short days later, after he was put into that tomb, rumors started flying around about this Jesus, that he was alive, that he was not dead. He'd risen from the dead. And as Acts 2 begins, it's now 50 days since Jesus was raised from the dead, and, and over 500 people have reported seeing this resurrected Jesus in physical form, right? In fact, just 10 days ago, from the timeline at the beginning of Acts 2, a crowd saw Jesus ascend into heaven shortly after he promised that he would send them his Holy Spirit. And that morning, at the beginning of Acts 2, a group of the followers of Jesus started praising the Lord in languages that they didn't know. Something really weird, right? Praising the Lord in languages that they did not know, that the Spirit of God had arrived. This Jesus guy, his followers, they obviously weren't going away soon, right? Yes, the Jewish leaders didn't like Jesus. Yes, they wanted to get rid of them, get rid of him. But think about it. Jesus has been all over the countryside. He's gone from town to town to town. People have seen Jesus. They've seen him work with God's power to heal and restore all sorts of people from sicknesses, diseases, um, even exercising demons. He's teaching with this authority that they've never seen before. He's just this guy that they just can't get rid of, but he's just so amazing. And in spite of all the religious leaders' efforts, many people believe that he just might be the Messiah, right? <laughs> what were they going to do with this Jesus? It was an important moment in the history of Israel. It was an important moment in the history of the world, right? Who would help them figure out what to do with all this? Well, Peter. <laughs> Peter stands up in that crowd, truly a surprising spokesperson, right? Yes, he'd been a disciple of Jesus, but Peter had completely disowned Jesus through this process of his arrest, his trial, his crucifixion. And now this same Peter, who couldn't even stand up to a servant girl, right? Now, filled with the Spirit, stood up and offered a proclamation about Jesus to the Jewish people, offering them some direction on what to do with Jesus. What did, Jesus, what did Peter proclaim? Well, that this Jesus that you rejected, 
This Jesus that you killed, (laughs) speaking to the people of Israel, but also to us, this Jesus truly had been raised from the dead. He had seen it. They had seen him. He, He proved that he was the Messiah. He proved that he was God's Savior for the people. And so their only response at this point on what to do with Jesus was to repent to turn from their ways of not including God in their lives and be baptized. Choose to follow Jesus. Believe that Jesus is the Messiah and find forgiveness for your sins and become a part of the church. And you know what? (laughs) Many of them did that day. 3,000 people took Peter up on his offer to actually receive Jesus, to actually be baptized and become a part of the church. Can you imagine that baptismal that day, that baptismal service, you have 3,000 people lined up to go in to get dunked. I mean, all participating in this metaphor of the good news of Jesus, you know, dying to our sins and rising to life in Christ, right? And over the last 2,000 years, many, many, many more have joined them, including many of us, right? Now, allow me to pause for a moment here. I would imagine that there may be some of us here that have chosen to follow Jesus, but maybe they haven't gotten around to being baptized. Um, Baptism does not save you. I don't know what you've been told, but baptism doesn't save you. The only one who can save you is Jesus, right? But baptism is still an important part of this process of being a part of the body of Christ, of being a follower of Jesus, Um, It is a public proclamation, as we're on the proclaiming topic, right? It's a public proclamation to the world about what you've done and what God has done for you. And it's really a huge celebration for the church, proclaiming that God is still working in the world today, right? So if you've never been baptized, would you consider it? Would you think about it? It truly is an important marker in your life um, that you can look back on, and and there are going to be times when you need to look back on this marker in your life where you remember whose you are, right? This is important. So I just encourage you, if you have questions about baptism, come talk to me. Love to talk to you about it. So as we move into the second week of our sermon series, this week we're going to look at the second proclamation the church made about Jesus. And this proclamation is actually found in Acts chapter 3 and 4. And um, I can truly say this is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. So if you'll turn with me there, Acts chapter 3. We don't know how much later it is in the story from the incidents in Acts chapter 2. But probably not too much time has passed since since the story from last week. In this story, we see that the church... um, still mostly Jewish, right? We're maintaining some of the Jewish um, practices. So we see in the first part of Acts chapter 3, Peter and John, they're headed to the temple for one of the daily prayers, daily times of prayer. Verse 1, it says, one day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate, gate called Beautiful where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. 
when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. And this really kind of sounds like an ordinary day. Um, there probably was a large group of people headed to church, and what better place to beg for money than along the route that the followers of God would be taking, right? I mean, if the followers of God can't be benevolent, who can? In all honesty, <laughs> and I would guess that, that Peter and John, um, this was probably a regular sight for them to see uh, beggars along the route, especially this beggar. It says that he was, had been there um, every day um, um, as a normal occurrence in his life. But this time, this ordinary day takes a shift, right? Verse 4, Peter looked straight at the beggar, as did John. This is the beginning of the unusual. When you see a beggar sitting alongside of the road, a road that you're walking along, what do you do? That's actually a real question. What do you do? <laughs> How many of you would go right up to the person and look them straight in the, straight in the eyes? <laughs> None of us, probably, right? Don't make eye contact. Don't make direct eye contact. I mean, flip them a coin maybe or give them some dollars, but, but don't engage. That's normal practice, I think. Maybe there's some other people, other types of people here this morning. Um, but those are the normal rules. And the truth is the beggar obviously was used to those rules. People weren't engaging with him. He's saying, hey, alms, alms for the poor, alms for the poor. They would throw some money in his basket or whatever. But this was different. Peter and John chooses to engage this beggar. Second part of verse 4. Then Peter said to him, look at us. <laughs> Again, the man wasn't expecting to look at anyone because they weren't looking at him. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. That's, again, a normal response, right? If someone's going to try to get your attention, uh, obviously they must have something for him. Verse 6, then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have. <laughs> you can probably assume that the beggar was maybe a little confused by that, right? Uh, maybe even a little frustrated. Why in the world did you stop and talk to me if you weren't going to give me something? You can clearly see that I'm begging, right? Yet Peter wasn't finished. Verse 6 again, then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have. But what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet, began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. I would guess that he's probably doing a little skipping, but I don't see the skipping part in there. But you could just imagine, this guy has been lame his whole life, right? He's never been able to walk. And now he's able to walk? I mean, of course he's jumping up and down. He's rejoicing in the Lord. He's excited about this, right? When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging. He's obviously not sitting there begging now, right? At the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Can you imagine this sounds like a story straight out of, oh, well, when Jesus was physically there, right? 
It's exactly those types of things that would happen. And, and keep in mind, the temple courts that this guy is skipping around in and rejoicing and celebrating, um, those were probably considered off-limits to him when he was lame, right? They believed at that time that you were cursed if you were lame, if you couldn't walk, if you were sick. Um, but now he's able to enjoy the blessings of God because he was healed, right? I ask you again, who is the gate beautiful? Who is the gate, as I read earlier this morning, the Psalm 118, that we rejoice and celebrate because he has become our salvation? It's Jesus. Praise the Lord. Verse 11, while the man held on to Peter and John, he wasn't going to let them get away, right? All the people were astonished, and they came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. It was kind of the porch of the, of the temple. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Hello, Israelites, brothers and sisters. Why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness, godliness we have somehow made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant, Jesus. <laughs> Not Peter and John, Jesus. <laughs> it's Jesus who healed him. You handed him over to be killed. You disowned him before Pilate, though Pilate had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be, murderer be released to you instead. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses of this. Again, it sounds a little bit more like last week's proclamation, right? Peter's cutting at their hearts. He's trying to help them realize what they've done and what the proper response would be to the Lord. Because there, it was hope for them still, wasn't there? There was hope for us. Verse 16, by faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It's in Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him. As you can all see. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance as you did, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. And so, what should your response be to this? Repent. Turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, so that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and so that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. I just love Peter focusing on three different things that you get when you actually repent to the Lord, turn to God. Your sins are wiped out. There will be refreshing times with the Lord. And then Jesus will return and take us home. Amen? I mean, isn't that good news? And now this sounds like a, a, a great proclamation about Jesus, right? But we're not done yet. <laughs> this proclamation gets interrupted. 
We flip over to Acts chapter 4. We find that as Peter's speaking, unlike the last time where he was able to just go straight into the altar call and everyone, you know, came to, came to the Lord, the Jewish leaders are ready this time. And they're bringing the temple guard with them. It looks like Peter and John may be in a little bit of trouble. Verse 1, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were still speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Now remember, this is a group of Sadducees who they didn't even believe in the resurrection. So, of course, they're going to be upset. But they're also upset that these fishermen are teaching the people. That's their job, right? So they seized Peter and John, and, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. So great. Our two disciples, they're in trouble. But don't miss the next verse. Verse 4. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed, believed grew to about 5,000. <laughs> So there's this persecution that's happening. There's opposition. And yet, no one can stop this Jesus, right? The church just keeps growing. So what's going to happen next? The next day, Peter and John are brought before the Sanhedrin. And they are questioned. And the Sanhedrin is this 71-member group, this body, that actually ruled the temple. They were kind of the, the bosses of spiritual life for, for the Israelites and they were led by a high priest, and, and many of the former high priests were there as well. They were all very, very powerful men. And here is Peter going before this group, Peter and John. Now, keep in mind, less than two months earlier, Jesus had been brought before this very same group. And we know how he fared with them, right? He was executed. And Peter knew that. You know how he knew that? He followed Jesus that night, right? In Matthew 26, he was actually in the courtyard outside where they were meeting as the Sanhedrin, and he's confronted by the servant girl, and he denied knowing Jesus. Definitely not one of his better nights, right? Yet this time, Peter is not faced with a servant girl. Who is he faced with? He gets the big dogs, right? He gets to go inside this time, all in front of this powerful Sanhedrin. <laughs> Would he fare any better than Jesus? Would he fare any better than what he did last time? Verse 5, it says, The next day the rulers, the elders of the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas the high priest was there. So were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? By what power or what name did you do this? Very important question, right? And remember, <laughs> Peter and John are going to answer this question to the power. These guys were the authority. They were ruling the religious activity of the Jews. And they were certainly threatened by what was going on with Peter and John that day right? And they weren't afraid to do something about it. And yet this question, it's a really good setup question, right? Peter could continue his proclamation right in front of these 
powerful leaders, if he's brave enough to do it, right? Verse 8, let's see what Peter does. <laughs> then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, probably the most important part of the story, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, see where Peter's going with this argument? It's actually turning the thing around and saying, why, why are you questioning me about something that we did that was nice, right? Why, why would you arrest us for an act of kindness? Shouldn't you be praising us instead? Why are we here? And then here it goes. Peter drops the mic, right? If you really want to know how this man was healed, I mean, you ask the question, verse 10, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Can you imagine their response? They thought they had killed this guy off, right? He says, Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has now become the cornerstone. In essence, the conversation kind of goes, goes like this. Sanhedrin's asking the question, so how did you do this? <laughs> and Peter's saying, if by this, you mean perform a good deed for someone who's sick? Then we did it by the power of the name of, listen for it, <laughs> Jesus! <laughs> and at that moment, you could probably hear a proverbial pin drop, right? What did they say? <laughs> but Peter doesn't stop there. Listen to verse 12. He declares, salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Wow. Now there's a remarkable claim to a, a group of religious experts who had tried to kill off Jesus, right? Everyone there, there that day, they knew the scriptures. They knew it was very clear in scripture that only God can save and just one of the scriptures in the Old Testament, Isaiah 43, 11, God says, I, even I am the Lord, and apart from me, there is no Savior. And yet Peter is saying that salvation is found only in the name of Jesus. What is he proclaiming? This proclamation is based on the power of God that comes in Christ here, Peter, this unlearned fisherman, what is he doing? He's demonstrating the truth of his claim by his courage. Why is he standing in front of those religious experts? But not only by his courage, by his just this very presence of being there. He didn't run off like he did before. The power of the Holy Spirit, power of God in his life, in front of the Sanhedrin, the one who had killed Jesus, are you kidding me? Remember, he couldn't even stand up to a servant girl the night, the night before Jesus was killed. And yet now the power of the Holy Spirit is present in Peter. He courageously speaks the truth. And honestly, the Sanhedrin, they did not miss that point. Verse 13, it says, When they saw the courage of Peter and John, 
and realized who they were. They were just unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Peter and John had pointed to Jesus in this proclamation. And the ordinary was eclipsed by the glory of God. All because they were willing to be obedient. And let's not forget, (laughs) the Sanhedrin couldn't deny any of it. Why? Verse 14, (laughs) since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. What could they do? And I love the way the story ends. Verse 15, so they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin, talking talking about Peter and John. And the Sanhedrin, they they conferred together. (laughs) What are we going to do with these men? It's a question that they were trying to figure out. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows that they have performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. We couldn't even say the name still, right? Then they called them in. Peter and John came in and, and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? <laughs> you be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Can't help it. That's what we've seen and heard. <laughs> Can't lie about it. And then it says, after further threats, they they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. (laughs) The early church proclaimed the power of God through words, (laughs) through their actions. And God did the rest. Praise the Lord. So as we close this morning, I want to just ask you a few questions. Do you believe in the power of Jesus? Do you believe that he could do anything? Would you be willing to step out in this kind of faith? What would hold you back? Would you be intimidated by the powerful? Would you be intimidated by the wise? (laughs) Do you believe that God could use the ordinary? And what do you think the Holy Spirit is capable of in you? Through you? Anything? You think the Holy Spirit could do anything with your life? Would you admit to the Lord this morning that you trust him? No matter what he might ask you to do? 
These are easy questions to answer when you're looking at the story of Peter and John, right? There's still very real questions as we go out from this place into a world that's broken, right? One thing that really sticks out to me in this story is just how uncomplicated the gospel is. The good news that Jesus brings into our life. You know, I, I think sometimes that we think we need to argue our faith or we need to somehow sell our faith. But what if we were to just simply point Jesus or point people to Jesus through our words, through our actions? Simply share what God has done in our life. Share what he's doing in and through us. And then let Jesus do the rest. You think he's capable of using us to reach this world? Who in your life is in need of this kind of Savior? Jesus. As we close this morning, I'm going to have Pastor Nathan sing us a song, and we'll sing with him and really celebrate all that God has done for us. Continue that theme this morning. But while we're singing, would you just take a moment and declare your trust in the Lord? Just tell him that you trust him. Trust him with your life. Trust him to do whatever he would like to do with your life. That's a pretty scary prayer, isn't it? Can you do it? Can we trust him? I think most of us have found our God to be faithful and trustworthy. He's a great God, isn't he? We can trust him. But God, you are amazing. <laughs> you are so powerful. We see Jesus in the story and we see how powerful his spirit working in the disciples. The things that they're able to do. Allowing you to use them, Lord. You are the way maker. You are the way the life. Lord, as we read about you in Psalm 118 this morning, you are the gate in which the righteousness go through to find life. Lord, we give you praise this morning. We give you praise for all that you're doing in our lives. You are our hope. Lord God, as we leave this place, pray that you would allow us to be your people. Pray, Lord, that you would be at work in and through us, that we would be open to allow you to work and make a difference in this world. We trust you, Lord. You're a God who's so good and so great. And we give you praise for that this morning. It's in Jesus' wonderful name that we pray. Amen. Let me give you a benediction passage from one, again from Psalm 118. Verse 14 it says, The Lord is my strength and my defense. 
is my, become my salvation. Shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. The Lord's right hand is lifted high. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. Who is the Lord's right hand? Jesus. <laughs> I will not die but live and will proclaim what the Lord has done. People of God, you are a blessed people. God is a part of your life. Powerful and good God. So let's spend time this week proclaiming the power of God at work in our lives. Let's be keeping our eyes open to all the things that he's done for us and give thanks. Let's continue to give him praise for all that he has done. Amen? You are sent.